0: Alrighty, for our message today, we'll be in Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. We're gonna read that passage in just a second here and then we'll pray and study God's word together. So be ready with Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. Check this out as some folks from our congregation read this for us. Ephesians four, twenty-five to 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Let's pray, friends. Lord God, we submit ourselves to the authority of your holy word, asking that your spirit would open our eyes and soften our hearts, so that you would teach us more today through your word about who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus, so that as we submit ourselves, to your holy word, to the truth of who you are in our lives, we would be changed. We would continue to to be more like your son, Jesus. And the resources of our lives, even during times of hardship, would be used by you for your goodness and glory so that we would understand, Lord, who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus and that your kingdom would move forward. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I heard this once as a kid at church, and it has stuck with me ever since. It's just a verse, and it's when Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, as a kid at the time, I wasn't exactly sure what it meant. But now, several decades and many millions of words later, I am painfully aware of exactly what Jesus meant. We all inevitably speak in ways that communicate what's inside of us. And I want to apply this in a very specific way for us today. Whether you like it or not, eventually all the people around you, they will hear you communicating that you deserve God's grace because you are self-righteous or you don't deserve God's grace because you are self-righteous and both are in their own ways not faithful witnesses to the grace of God. Now up to this point in the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul has been very sort of theological and doctrinal and and, and talking about big ideas. He's been teaching the Ephesian Christians these broad and sweeping doctrinal truths to remind them that they have been established that they are founded on the cornerstone of the life, death, and resurrection power of Jesus himself. Jesus has made them into a church, a body of believers who are being built into a place and into a people where his goodness and his glory are being communicated through them to the world around them. In fact, up to this point in Ephesians, Paul has only used one imperative, one command, it's directive, Well, here in Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, Paul makes up for lost time, and he gets back to some imperatives, these commands about how Christians are to act now that they have this new life in Jesus. There are 11 commands, 11 imperatives here in these eight verses, and they're mostly centered around this issue of how we use our words. Jump into Ephesians 4, 25 to 32 with me here, starting at verse 25, it says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why is Paul so keen on making sure the Ephesian Christians are speaking the truth? I mean, isn't this an obvious lesson? Doesn't everybody know that they're supposed to speak the truth? I remember my parents telling me from an early age that lying to them was the worst thing I could possibly do. You see, in the Wakefield household, to lie to my parents was more disappointing than anything else. Didn't Ephesian parents teach their kids to tell the truth? Why is basic moral stuff like lying and stealing and and not being angry? Why are those issues here in this passage? along with quite a few other basic moral standards like don't be angry, don't steal, be kind. Well, let's step back a bit. Let's press pause and let's set some context before we finish verse 25 and move on in the text. So in the previous sections of Ephesians, Paul's been reminding the Ephesian Christians that having this new life in Jesus means being made into an entirely new being, being made into new creatures. He says in Ephesians 2.15 that Jesus has made them into a new human, a new man, an entirely new thing. 2 Corinthians 5 says we are entirely new creations, Romans 6 says that when we are baptized, the old us, the old man dies in that water because it is buried with Christ and a new man is raised to new life. In other words, to know Jesus is to have the life of Jesus in you by God's spirit in a way that actually transforms the way you think and the way you act and especially here in this passage, the way you speak. And what Paul wants to emphasize here is that those with new life in them through Jesus, through the Spirit, they speak as if they have that new life. They have new life that came from Jesus by God's grace. He's been hitting on this new life theme throughout the entire book of Ephesians, this new life through Christ and by his grace theme throughout the entire book of Ephesians. And he's, he's been pounding this all along. He wants the Ephesian Christians to speak from this new reality. So he's been, reinforcing, he's been reinforcing to them this idea that a Christian is a new creation, an entirely new being who acts differently than the world, than the world around them who abuses resources for self. On the contrary, he says, Christians, because they know what they have in Jesus, they use their life's resources in ways that, listen to this, friends, that do for others what Jesus has done for them. Christians are to use their life's resources in ways, their resources in ways that do for others what Jesus has done for them. In the very first verse of the book, He calls them saints. Why? Because God made them so in Jesus. In the second verse in the book, he says that he, that God, is their father. Why? Because God became their father in Jesus. In the third verse, he says that God has blessed them in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He goes on and on like this, speaking about the undeserved grace of God to them in these brazen and audacious In these huge terms, he says, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. You were adopted into God's family. You've had the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You've been raised from the dead, seated at God's right hand in the heavenly places. You have the riches of Jesus. You've obtained an inheritance. You have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, the spirit of God's wisdom, the knowledge of God, the riches of his glory, and the greatness of his power. And we're not even out of chapter 1. So when Paul comes to Ephesians 4.25 here He's saying Christians, followers of Jesus If you have all of that, that amazing stuff that comes with having new life If you have all that grace of God in Jesus Then you will use your words in ways that witness to the truth of that grace If by the grace of God you have every spiritual blessing in Christ, then talk like it. So, start again at the beginning of verse 25. He says this, therefore, having put away falsehood, having done away with, as he's been saying in the previous verses here, put away is the same language he's been using throughout chapter four, where he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and, and is corrupt through your deceitful desires. He says, do away with that because those clothes don't fit anymore, so stop wearing them. So having put away falsehood, let each one of you, he's speaking to the Ephesian church here and to us, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Now, what is the truth we are to speak with our neighbor, which is a word that here refers to fellow believers. Put simply, the truth we are to speak is the truth of the story of having every spiritual blessing in Jesus. He's saying don't speak the sort of half-truth of the story that you're awesome when you're not. If that's the story you're telling, (laughs) I promise you, no one around you believes it. So what does that tell you? So speak the truth of the story of God's grace to you, to me, to us in Jesus. Why? Next phrase, for we are members of one another. For we are members one of another. Think about this. If Christians are renewed people, And we have every spiritual blessing needed for being right with God that was given to us because of Jesus then Christians will speak from this new truth, this new reality of God's unearned and undeserved grace. They will speak from this new reality about who God has mercifully made them to be, right? I mean, that's what they'll do if they speak from the understanding of who they've been made to be through the grace of Jesus. So, if that's true of me and of you, and we're members of the same body. If we are members of one another, as Paul says here, we will speak from this new reality with and to one another. This, friends, is so important. We speak truth because we are together, members in a body of believers that Christ is building into a place and into a people where he does his work of bringing people to himself. And because if we're going to achieve this mission together, we speak truth because it requires everyone understanding clearly the grace of God, that not a single one of us achieved our membership in this body, this new status as as blessed and forgiven. We didn't achieve this by ourselves. So when we speak from this truth, we are discipling those around us. We are training them in the grace of God. We are forming proper thinking about their need for mercy as we express our need for mercy. And to the contrary, there's this this great danger in speaking from a Pharisaical, self righteous earning of God's goodness. You see, when we do that, we are lying about ourselves to others. We functionally teach them they don't need Jesus and we pervert God's kindness. We are in effect sort of witnessing to the lie that we don't need God's grace. And that's no less formative a dynamic in the lives of the people around us than this principle that Paul's talking about here of speaking the truth of grace with one another. So, so speak the truth of having received God's grace, mercy, and blessing because you need it, and speak that to others in the body in ways that form them into healthy Jesus followers. For us and for members of the body around us, that is an important and really important part of helping people find and follow Jesus and and growing up in him so so that they can become who God's created and called them to be. So... Moving on, Paul applies this speak the truth of grace with one another principle in the following verses. We'll pick up the pace here starting at verse 26. He says this, be angry and do not sin. Now I'm reading from the English Standard, English Standard Version here. Notice here in the ESV that he doesn't say don't be angry. He says be angry and don't sin. Be angry about the right things and in the right ways but don't let that anger fester and control you. He says, "Do not let the sun go down on your anger," and verse 27, "give no opportunity to the devil." When your head hits the pillow, the pillow at night, are you still angry? When you think about the things that motivate you to do what you do, how much of that is motivated by anger? To ensure you're giving no, foothood, no, no foothold for the evil one in your heart. To ensure that you're protecting your heart from becoming hard. Make sure that when your head hits the pillow at night, you send that, that reconciliatory text to that friend. Or you have that conversation with, you, with your spouse that you know you need to have. Or that conversation with your kids. Or, or maybe you even just ask yourself that question that ensures that you're not ending your day in a wrong, self-righteous anger. Now, pro tip. Go to God first. Filter your feelings in conversation with God first. Then make sure you're you're taking the truth. You're reminding yourself of the gospel. You're taking the truth of what he's graciously given to you in Jesus, and you're applying that to whatever relationship or thought or context where you find yourself motivated by anger. This is no less an important part of this principle of speaking the truth of grace with one another. How do do I get rid of my anger? (laughs) You realize, you realize that you're in need of grace. Speaking the truth of grace with one another and to yourself is how you keep the evil one at bay. Keep reading, verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, is Paul talking about literally not stealing here? Yes. (laughs) But I want to sort of uh, intentionally misinterpret this verse. I know that sounds bad, but stick with me. It's actually just sort of an intentional misapplication But of the same principle. So, track with me here. The reason Paul includes this imperative, this command to no longer steal, is to encourage us to do the opposite. He says, Rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So, we're instructed here, rather than stealing, to be productive. This is straight out of Genesis 1. Be fruitful and multiply, the first command, the first imperative in the Bible. God created and called us to be fruitful and multiply, to take the the stuff of the world around us, the resources of our lives, to be productive. And he says here, Paul applies that principle and says, we are to be productive by doing honest work with our hands in order to share with anyone in need. Now, Paul is indeed... Obviously, literally saying, don't take people's things. (laughs) But instead, learn to produce and share with those uh, who might be in need around you, the poor who are in need. But, and here's the intentional misapplication part. Let's apply that same principle of godly stewardship of resources to our use of our words. So, let's read the verse this way today. Look at this. Let the thief, meaning the one who used to selfishly sort of abuse words and tell the wrong story of his or her life, let the thief of words for selfish purposes no longer steal, but rather let him labor, being productive with his words, doing honest work, meaning saying true things with his words. Why? So that he may have something to share With anyone in need. Friends, we all have people around us who are desperately, in effect, desperately poor in hearing the goodness and the grace of God in their lives. We all have people around us who need honest words of the grace of God shared with them that help them experience freedom that can only come through grace. So is Paul talking about becoming a means of production with one's hands? Yes, of course. But we can apply that same principle to do the same with our words, to use them productively so that we can share with anyone in need. Now pick it up at verse 29 where Paul just kind of keeps the punches coming on this theme of speaking the truth of grace with one another. He says this, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Meaning, stop the the tearing down talk that perverts the understanding of grace and how sin is is overcome. He says, don't talk like that. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such is good for for building up. Words that build up are words that help people become who God created and called them to be. You can have a vision for your language being something that builds up those around you into the people God created and called them to be. That they they can be vehicles for speaking into them the encouragement of how perhaps God has gifted them. Is that the vision you have for your speech, for your words? So so Paul says, Let no corrupting, tearing down talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, and then look at this, as fits the occasion in ways that are actually directed at the other person's needs, just like the grace of God was directed at your place of greatest need. And then look at this. Really, it's a beautiful principle. This is a foundational thought for this whole passage uh, that should direct our words. He says, don't let corrupting talk come out, but good for building up talk as fits the occasion. And then he says this, that it may give grace to those who hear that is <laughs> that our talk might give grace that our words might extend the mercy and the blessing of God to those who hear our words think about how huge this is ask yourself this question <laughs> are my words are your words giving grace to those who hear them? Does your speech extend mercy that may not be deserved, that they may not be able to earn? Are your words telling the right story of God's goodness to you? And is that what people around you are hearing so that they will hear that story correctly and the grace of God correctly. Because listen, when our words aren't used like that, it grieves God. Our use of words then is not, uh, is not in keeping with the grace of God we've been given. And it grieves him. Look at verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We grieve the spirit of God when we tell the story slant, selfishly. Witnessing to the untruth that we are adequate when we're not. Witnessing to the lie that we're awesome when everyone around us knows we're not. So instead, verse 31, he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away. Take off those clothes along with all malice. Those kinds of attitudes are often, frankly, a self righteousness that misunderstands our personal limits and our need for grace. So, the principle stated, verse 32, he ends with this Be kind to one another, tender hearted, soft hearted, forgiving. One another. Speak with kindness and soft heartedness and forgiveness as God in Christ forgave you. Speak in ways that, that accurately communicate the grace of God that you've been extended. Friends, we're called to use our words faithfully and, and productively to steward them as resources for giving grace to those who hear. Here's the question for us today. Right where you are, whether you're by yourself or you're with friends or family, I want you to think about this question, and if you're with others, maybe discuss this together. Who is someone in your life who needs to hear this week from you words that witness to the grace of God? Friends, do your words witness to the grace of God? Are your words increasingly witnesses to the amazing depth of the grace and mercy of God extended to you in Jesus? Or are you stuck in these patterns of using them as tools that you pervert, as I know I have (laughs) to tell these sort of half-truths of a a self-righteous story of you being good enough to achieve a salvation from God that you know and everyone knows around you you can't. Are your words telling the right story? Are they increasingly telling the true story of the faithfulness of God to offer you freedom from your sin in the perfect life of Jesus that was sacrificed in your place? Father in heaven, we want to be people who steward what you've given us for the sake of communicating your goodness and glory in ways that are faithful to the nature of the gift you've given us in Jesus. And that when we speak, people would hear grace. That when we extend words to others, those would be, those would be tools you can use to your spirit to soften hearts, to express kindness, uh, to be an opportunity for, for showing mercy Father, we want to be people who give the gift of grace to others in the manner in which it's been given to us. Father, teach us to do that so that your kingdom would move forward and so that we would experience the joy of being used by you, so that we would see you communicate your goodness and glory to others around us. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.